Chapters 7 and 8 of Beautiful Joe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Allison Hester of Athens, Georgia. Beautiful Joe by Marshall Saunders. Chapter 7 Training a Puppy. Ned, dear, said Miss Laura one day. I wish you would train Billy to follow and retrieve. He is four months old now, and I shall soon want to take him out in the street. Very well, sister, said mischievous Ned, and catching up a stick, he said, Come out into the garden, dogs. Though he was brandishing his stick fiercely, I was not at all afraid of him, and as for Billy, he loved Ned. The Morris garden was not really a garden, but a large piece of ground, with the grass worn bare in many places, a few trees scattered about, and some raspberry and currant bushes along the fence. A lady who knew that Mr. Morris had not a large salary said one day when she was looking out of her dining room window, My dear Mrs. Morris, why don't you have this garden dug up you could raise your own vegetables it would be so much cheaper than buying them mrs morris laughed in great amusement think of the hens and cats and dogs and rabbits and above all the boys that i have what sort of a garden would there be and do you think it would be fair to take their playground from them the lady said that no, she did not think it would be fair. I'm sure I don't know what the boys would have done without this strip of ground. Many a frolic and game they had there. In the present case, Ned walked around and around it with his stick on his shoulder, Billy and I strolling after him. Presently, Billy made a dash aside to get a bone. Ned turned around and said firmly, to heal. Billy looked at him innocently, not knowing what he meant. To heal, exclaimed Ned again. Billy thought he wanted to play, and putting his head on his paws, he began to bark. Ned laughed. Still, he kept saying, to heal. He would not say another word. He knew if he said, come here, or follow, or go behind, it would confuse Billy. Finally, as Ned kept saying the words over and over and pointing to me, it seemed to dawn upon Billy that he wanted him to follow him. So he came beside me, and together we followed Ned around the garden again and again. Ned often looked behind with a pleased face, and I felt so proud to think I was doing well but suddenly I got dreadfully confused when he turned around and said, Hey, out! The Morrises all used the same words in training their dogs, and I had heard Miss Laura say this, but I had forgotten what it meant. Good Joe, said Ned, turning around and patting me. You have forgotten. I wonder where Jim is. He would help us. He put his fingers in his mouth and blew a shrill whistle, and soon Jim came trotting up the lane from the street. 
he looked at us with his large intelligent eyes and wagged his tail slowly as if to say well what do you want of me come and give me a hand at this training business old sobersides said ned with a laugh it's too slow to do it alone now young gentlemen attention to heel he began to march around the garden again and jim and i followed closely at his heels while little billy seeing that he could not get us to play with him came lagging behind soon ned turned around and said hey out old jim sprang ahead and ran off in front as if he was after something now i remembered what hay out meant we were to have a lovely race wherever we liked little billy loved this we ran and scampered hither and thither and ned watched us laughing at our antics after tea he called us out in the garden again and said he had something else to teach us he turned up a tub on the wooden platform at the back door and sat on it and then called jim to him he took a small leather strap from his pocket it had a nice strong smell we all licked it and each dog wished to have it no joe and billy said ned holding us both by our collars you wait a minute here jim jim watched him very earnestly and ned threw the strap halfway across the garden and said fetch it jim never moved till he heard the words fetch it then he ran swiftly brought the strap and dropped it in ned's hand ned sent him after it two or three times then he said to jim lie down and turned to me here joe it is your turn he threw the strap under the raspberry bushes and then looked at me and said fetch it i knew quite well what he meant and i ran joyfully after it i soon found it by the strong smell but the queerest thing happened when i got it in my mouth i began to gnaw it and play with it and when ned called out fetch it i dropped it and ran toward him i was not obstinate but i was stupid ned pointed to the place where it was and spread out his empty hands that helped me and i ran quickly and got it he made me get it for him several times sometimes i could not find it and sometimes i dropped it but he never stirred he sat still till i brought it back to him after a while he tried billy but it soon got dark and we could not see so he took billy and went into the house i stayed out with jim for a while and he asked me if i knew why ned had thrown a strap for us instead of a bone or something hard of course i did not know so jim told me it was on his account he was a bird dog and was never allowed to carry anything hard in his mouth because it would make him hard mouth and he would be apt to bite the birds when he was bringing them back to any person who was shooting with him he said that he had been so carefully trained that he could even carry three eggs at a time in his mouth i said to him 
Jim, how is it that you never go out shooting? I have always heard that you were a dog for that, and yet you never leave home. He hung his head a little and said he did not wish to go, and then, for he was an honest dog, he gave me the true reason. End of chapter 7, Training a Puppy Chapter 8, A Ruined Dog I was a sporting dog, he said bitterly. For the first three years of my life, I belonged to a man who keeps a livery stable here in Fairport, and he used to hire me out to shooting parties. I was a favorite with all the gentlemen. I was crazy with delight when I saw the guns brought out and would jump up and bite at them. I loved to chase birds and rabbits, and even now when the pigeons come near me, I tremble all over and have to turn away lest I should seize them. I used often to be in the woods from morning till night. I liked to have a hard search after a bird after it had been shot, and to be praised for bringing it out without biting or injuring it. I never got lost, for I am one of those dogs that can always tell where human beings are. I did not smell them. I would be too far away for that. But if my master was standing in some place, and I took a long round through the woods, I knew exactly where he was, and could make a short cut back to him without returning in my tracks. But I must tell you about my trouble. One Saturday afternoon, a party of young men came to get me. They had a dog with them, a cocker spaniel named Bob, but they wanted another. For some reason or other, my master was very unwilling to have me go. However, he at last consented, and they put me in the back of the wagon with Bob and the lunch baskets, and we drove off into the country. This Bob was a happy, merry-looking dog, and as we went along, he told me of the fine time we should have the next day. The young men would shoot a little, then they would get out their baskets and have something to eat and drink, and would play cards and go to sleep under the trees, and we would be able to help ourselves to legs and wings of chicken and anything we liked from the baskets. I did not like this at all. I was used to working hard through the week, and I liked to spend my Sundays quietly at home. However, I said nothing. That night, we slept at a country hotel and drove the next morning to the banks of a small lake where the young men were told there would be plenty of wild ducks. They were in no hurry to begin their sport. They sat down in the sun on some flat rocks at the water's edge and said they would have something to drink before setting to work. They got out some of the bottles from the wagon and began to take long drinks from them. Then they got quarrelsome and mischievous and seemed to forget all about their shooting. One of them proposed to have some fun with the dogs. They tied us both to a tree, and throwing a stick in the water, told us to go get it. Of course we struggled and tried to get free, and chafed our necks with the rope. After a time, one of them began to swear at me, and say that he believed I was gun-shy. 
he staggered to the wagon and got out his fowling piece and said he was going to try me he loaded it went to a little distance and was going to fire when the young man who owned bob said he wasn't going to have his dog's legs shot off and coming up he unfastened him and took him away you can imagine my feelings as i stood there tied to the tree with that stranger pointing his gun directly at me he fired close to me a number of times over my head and under my body the earth was cut up all around me i was terribly frightened and howled and begged to be freed the other young men who were sitting laughing at me thought it was such good fun that they got their guns too i never wished to spend such a terrible hour again i was sure they would kill me i dare say they would have done so for they were all quite drunk by this time if something had not happened poor bob who was almost as frightened as i was and who lay shivering under the wagon was killed by a shot by his own master whose hand was the most unsteady of all he gave one loud howl kicked convulsively then turned over on his side and lay quite still it sobered them all they ran up to him but he was quite dead they sat for a while quite silent then they threw the rest of the bottles into the lake dug a shallow grave for bob and putting me in the wagon drove slowly back to town they were not bad young men i don't think they meant to hurt me or to kill bob it was the nasty stuff in the bottles that took away their reason i was never the same dog again i was quite deaf in my right ear and though i strove against it i was so terribly afraid of even the sight of a gun that i would run and hide myself whenever one was shown to me my master was very angry with those young men and it seemed as if he could not bear the sight of me one day he took me very kindly and brought me here and asked mr morris if he did not want a good-natured dog to play with the children i have a happy home here and i love the morris boys but i often wish i could keep from putting my tail between my legs and running home every time i hear the sound of a gun never mind that jim i said you should not fret over a thing for which you are not to blame i am sure you must be glad for one reason that you have left your old life what is that he said on account of the birds you know miss laura thinks it is wrong to kill the pretty creatures that fly about in the woods so it is he said unless one kills them at once i have often felt angry with men for only half killing a bird i hated to pick up the little warm body and see the bright eye looking so reproachfully at me and feel the flutter of life we animals or rather most of us kill mercifully it's only human beings who butcher their prey and seem some of them to rejoice in their agony i used to be eager to kill birds and rabbits but i did not want to keep them before me long after they were dead 
I often stop in the street and look up at fine ladies' bonnets and wonder how they can wear little dead birds in such dreadful positions. Some of them have their heads twisted under their wings and over their shoulders and looking toward their tails, and their eyes are so horrible that I wish I could take those ladies into the woods and let them see how easy and pretty a live bird is and how unlike the stuffed creatures they wear. Have you ever had a good run in the woods, Joe? No, never, I said. Some day I will take you, and now it is late and I must go to bed. Are you going to sleep in the kennel with me or in the stable? I think I will sleep with you, Jim. Dogs like company, you know, as well as human beings. I curled up in the straw beside him, and soon we were fast asleep. I have known a good many dogs, but I don't think I ever saw such a good one as Jim. He was gentle and kind, and so sensitive that a hard word hurt him more than a blow. He was a great pet with Mrs. Morris, and as he had been so well trained, he was able to make himself very useful to her. When she went shopping, he often carried a parcel in his mouth for her. He would never drop it, nor leave it anywhere. One day, she dropped her purse without knowing it, and Jim picked it up and brought it home in his mouth. She did not notice him, for he always walked behind her. When she got to her own door, she missed the purse, and turning around, saw it in Jim's mouth. Another day, a lady gave Jack Morris a canary cage as a present for Carl. He was bringing it home when one of the little seed boxes fell out. Jim picked it up and carried it a long way before Jack discovered it. End of chapter 8 A Ruined Dog <laughs>